Watch. W A T C H. World Against Toys Causing Harm. Each year, they publish a top 10 list of most hazardous toys. And last year, the number one most hazardous toy, above ATVs, above pools, above trampolines, above lawn darts. Now, you know you have reached rarefied air if you are above a dangerous level of lawn darts, right? But the number one most hazardous toy is the water balloon launcher. Yeah. And I know, I can hear your questions. You're like, why would the water balloon launcher be the number one hazardous toy? Well, here's the reasons they give. Number one, because it, first of all, it just involves balloons. And when you're dealing with balloons and little kids, it's a choking hazard. Okay, and that's for real. You got little ones and balloons, those, those don't really mix, all right? But for those of us who aren't planning on eating the balloons, what, what, is, what is so dangerous about the launcher? Well, number two reason is because several of them are promoted to have the power to fling a water balloon 500 yards. Yes, I said it correctly, not 500 feet, 500 yards. That's five football fields for some of you who need to understand the distance, more than a quarter of a mile, which means sometimes you could be standing in a place and not actually be able to see where whatever you launched lands, right? And then there's reason number three that is simply listed as a cause of serious eye injury, all right? Which, in light of the fact that we have now turned the corner on October, we are headed toward Christmas in honor of poor Ralphie. What that means is you'll shoot your eye out. Yeah, that, that's, that's how it's promoted. So, I bought one, right? <laughs> no, bring it on out, guys. Can we bring it on out? See, I knew you wouldn't believe me. It's like, bring it on out. Because the Greek translation of most dangerous means buy one, right? That's, that's what it means. For some of us, we get that. And maybe not one, maybe you buy two because there are people you love, right? So, I really do, really do have one. These guys are helping me out today, and I thought it would be a cool, cool deal um, in honor of the fact that today, Adrian launches the first morning service. Woohoo! First morning service in, in Adrian. We're gonna launch a water balloon from Garden City to Adrian. That's what we're gonna do. All right. Uh, okay, maybe it doesn't quite go that far. But you get the point. So these guys really are gonna demonstrate, I mean, it, this is how it works. You got it? Don't let go. You got it? <laughs> Before we came out here, they're saying to me, don't let go. That's what they're saying. But this is how it works. I mean, uh, it's pretty simple, right? We've got tension. We got tension. But the key to the tension is we've got two points that work together. Two points that work together 
that allow us to create some tension that, I mean, this is one of them that apparently will fly 500 yards. I'm not going to buy less than the 500-yard one, right? So this is really one of those that will fly 500 yards. We were to put a water balloon in. We launch it the right scenario. There's power. Now, what happens if one of the two points is not working? So why don't you, you drop that, all right? We still got some tension. We still got some power. But this is not going to end well, right? It's not. We got some power, but you get the point. It's not going to do what it's intended to do, all right? Thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate it. Can you give them a hand? Thank you, guys. So, it may be dangerous, and I want to be really clear that I am not recommending anyone buy a water balloon launcher. That is not the point today. I want you to be safe, but this really can help us understand some powerful truths from God's Word that we are presented with today. Let me read it to you first, and then we'll make our way through. All right? Here's where we find it, Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 15. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are what? They're evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. For those of us who follow Jesus, we come really quickly to understand that Jesus' life involves a life of paradoxes, paradoxes. Now, a paradox is something that's seemingly contradictory or maybe even uh, we would think opposed to common sense, and yet perhaps it's true. It's a paradox. Well, for Christians, there are things that don't seem to fit together with other things. But according to God's word, in God's mind, they do fit together. Right? I'm going to give you a big one before we dig into the ones we're reading about today. The sovereignty of God and the free will of man. God's complete control and man's ability to choose. People have been fighting over that paradox for hundreds and hundreds of years. And when I say fighting, I mean like actually hurting each other over it. When you read the Bible, both of those truths are present. In God's mind, they fit together. They are not opposed to each other. So, let me show you a a little bit of how we see that today in in the text that we're reading in Ephesians chapter 5. In verse 15, he says, be very careful then how you live. Right? So, there's a cautious factor to this. There's a pay attention to what's going on. And and eventually, he lands as to the big reason in, in verse 16, because the days are evil right? Now, 
Check out verse 20. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. And I'm saying when you read those two things, you, you, you kind of want to go, I'm not sure that fits together. Realizing that the days are evil and yet to thank him for everything is what it says. There's a paradox. Here's the paradox. The paradox is always be careful because the days are evil, he's saying. And always be thankful. And don't miss it. To God for everything. It's almost as if Paul is saying to us, I want you to be cautious and carefree. And we go, what? What? Cautious and carefree. And we go, that doesn't fit together. I know people who are cautious. I know people whose lives I would characterize them as cautious people. They are cautious in everything. And then there are others, right, who are carefree. No worries. They are the people who buy water balloon launchers, right? Like, it'll be okay. Another way to see it is we would think there are some people who tend to be cynical because they see the evil all around us all the time. And then there are other people who just, we, we would, some would characterize, it's like they act kind of naive as though they don't know all this is going on around them. Well, I, I want to make sure that you know from the rest of Paul's writings, Paul is not naive. He's not. He knows this age in which we live, it is evil. He knows it. He knows it because it, it in part is evil because God allows so much leash length on Satan's leash that Satan is referred to as the God of this age. Paul knows that. He writes that. He knows this age is evil because God, for now, it won't always be that way, but for now, that God allows so much pride and wickedness in the human heart. He knows this age is evil. He, he knows this age is evil because there, there are so many natural catastrophes that, that bring suffering and misery on the world to people who are good and to people who are bad. Paul knows about evil. He knows the effect of his own sin. In Romans chapter 7, you, you, you read him say things like, I, I want to do good, but I know that evil is right there. And then Paul also knows the effect of sin of others on his life. He's been thrown in prison more times than we can count, right? The beatings that he has taken, not because he's done something wrong, we would say, but simply because he proclaims the name of Jesus. So when Paul says, always be thankful to God for everything, he's not in some dream world. He's not naive. Now let's also make sure we understand that when he says, be thankful to God for everything, He's not telling us that we have to dance around the coffin when there's loss. He is not telling us that we can't cry when we face sickness. He's not telling us that there's no place for anger when there is injustice. But it does say, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything 
And that is God's word to us. So how does that fit together? If Paul knows there's evil and he knows there's pain, why would he say give thanks to God for everything? That seems like some serious tension. So how do you get those two points together? Well, first, let me show you the second tension, and then we'll answer that question, all right? Here's the second paradox that we see in this passage that we read today. Verse 15, he says, I want you to walk this out, not as unwise, but as wise, okay? Be smart, be wise, be sharp. Do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And immediately when we read this, it's like, okay, he's calling us to use our brain, use our mind. I want you to think. I want you to know yourself. I want you to know your enemy. I want you to know your, your circumstances, but I want you to know your commander. I want you to scrutinize. I want you to analyze. I want you to examine. I want you to sort out what's going on around you. But then, he says, in verse 19, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, sing and make music from your what? From your heart. From your heart to the Lord. In other words, he brings emotion into this thing. Not just our minds, but emotion that he says should be engaged. In other words, we should not just study the Bible. We should also be swept into song when we read it. We shouldn't just study the providence of God. We should also be amazed by it. Something should happen to our heart. We shouldn't just study the doctrine of salvation. We should also be people who are filled with joy because we are saved. So here's the paradox. The paradox is use your intellect, right? Critical study, use your mind, analyze this. Make these decisions in a a smart way, but also use your emotions and un- hindered joy. Let me put this in some practical terms for you. One of my greatest struggles with people who pursue higher education, and in in my world that often means theological education. There are times that I watch people go to seminary, for example. I watch their joy get swallowed up by the analytic demands of academic work. I see it happen all the time. Because when you go to seminary, for example, you are taught to see Scripture You are taught to see the world. You are taught to see the church through critical eyes. You are taught 
to analyze. You are taught to dissect. You are taught to, to make, and so the, the church and the world and the scripture even through critical eyes, and what happens in that process is it's really easy to lose sight of all the everyday reasons to express felt joy to God. And I remember that battle in my own life. I do. In other words, the point is your view of what's broken will drown out the view of what should make you joyful. Does that make sense? Your view of everything that's broken, all the stuff that's wrong with the, with the church and all the stuff that's wrong with the world, it's, it's real, it's true, it's accurate, but it can often drown out all the joy that should be present, that should be expressed to God. On the other hand, it's why some of you find yourselves very leery of some of the more charismatic approaches to church. The reason is that because to you, it seems like it's this life of emotions that drive the train. The emotions drive the train at the expense of the life of the mind and actually study, careful study and doctrine gets swallowed up by the ecstatic demands of emotionalism. But what we're reading today in Ephesians chapter 5 is that we are told you want both of those to be present. You want both of those points to be present in your life. Your mind and your emotion. The power of analysis and the power of joy. So, let me, let me just put it this way. Some of you, if you are primarily intellectual with little emotion, all right, that's some, that's, I'm describing, you are primarily intellectual, you are cerebral, and not a lot of emotion. Do not brag about that. Because according to what we just read, that is not a strength. That is weakness. Something is missing. And your desire should be to feed your heart's capacity for joy in God. There's more that's available. Some of you, on the other hand, are primarily emotional with little desire for study and, ana and analysis, right? The, the emotion is what you're about, not the, not the hard work of, of analogy behind it. Listen to me. Don't brag about that. Because in terms of what we just read, that's not a strength. That is a weakness. And your desire should be to feed your mind's capacity for thinking and understanding the work of God. More is available. Don't surrender the paradox. Just because there's tension, don't surrender the paradox because it stands in Scripture. You want both. So that your heart's experiences, your heart experiences the deepest joy you've ever known because your mind has seen more of God's truth than you've ever known. So now, again, but how does that happen? H how does that happen that I have both 
if I don't have both. If I don't have both intellect and emotion, how do I get both points? If I don't have this, this always be careful because the days are evil, but always be thankful to God for everything, how do I get both if I don't have both? Well, one thing we know we've learned from Paul's letter to the Ephesians is that you and I don't hold the power to do that. We don't. But the answer is right in the middle of the text that we have read. It's found in verse 18, and it reads like this. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the what? The Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. In other words, be filled with the Spirit, and God will uncover for you this, this mystery of gratitude for all things, even when the days are evil. Filled with the Spirit, and God will uncover for you the joys of heart-filled worship fueled by the intellect of the mind when you are zeroed in on the truths of God's word. In other words, be filled with the Spirit. And the imagery for me is you will have both this wartime urgency, because that's kind of what I sense when I read that first part. And Paul's saying the days are evil, and you got to be careful what you're doing. It's like this wartime urgency that you recognize the battle going on around you all the time. But you also have this peacetime gratitude where it's almost like the war is over and you're able to sit back and you're just able to soak in the peace and the joy and the blessing. He says, it's God's Spirit who brings both of those together. It's God's Spirit who ties them together. Now remember the key verse that we have looked at in this series. The key word, verse that we've looked at in this series is Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Here's how it reads. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably, and what's our word? More. Immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. According to his, second word, what is it? Power. His power that is at work in us. We're talking about in this series, God able to do more than you could ever dream, more than you can ever think, more than you could ever ask. But how does that come about? The power is according to his power at work in us. Well, what is his power at work in us? Well, if you back up to verse 16 in the same chapter, this is how it reads. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the same thing Paul's talking about in chapter 5. He's consistent all the way through this letter. He says, when we're talking about more, and that's what this series is about, we're talking about more. When he says more, right, we, we get this imagery of the power button that's right in the middle, right? This power, his spirit that dwells in us. So here's the imagery that I want us to get today. talking about more. 
What, what is it that ties these two points that don't seem to really fit together? The Spirit is the band that ties them together. The, the Spirit is like this band that ties the two points together. I, I want to always be careful because the days are evil. So I want to live with this wisdom. I, 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 I want to be aware. This is, this is not a joke. This is a real battle. I got an enemy who wants to take me out. You, you got to be careful because the days are evil. But I also want to live every day thankful for the easy 100 things I could come up with every single day that, that should be joy from my heart to God for what he has done, for who he is, for the blessings in my life. Where's the power to tie those two things together that keep you from just being naive and all you do is say thank you to God all day but you're totally oblivious to an enemy who wants to wipe you out? How do you keep from just being overwhelmed by the battle? Almost run down, there's never any joy because you're critical, right? It's like, how do you do it? It's the Spirit. That's what he's saying. It's the Spirit. How, how do you use your intellect? You analyze, right? You study. But at the same time, there be emotion. Emotion that is supposed to be directed to our God. It is the Spirit that is the band that ties it together. You need both points. Together, I know they create tension, but together, they are powerful. Let me show you what Paul says to the church at Corinth about the Holy Spirit. All right, the Holy Spirit that the Bible teaches us that when we put our trust in Jesus, he, he lives within us, dwells in us. Here's, here's what Paul says to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. Just check this out. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. Isn't that cool? Th things that human eyes can't see, don't understand, don't understand. He's saying, by the spirit, I'm, sh I'm showing you. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. It's a promise. He's saying when you trust him, he helps you see. He helps you see how your all-knowing, all-powerful, all-wise Heavenly Father can often connect those things that you don't see connected. He can even take the evils of this world and work them together for your eternal good to give you reason to joy in Him. Say, I don't know if that's true. Well, I'm going to show you a place where it's true in Paul's life. 
right? Because don't you hate it when somebody's like preaching a sermon to you and you're like, I don't even know if that's true in them, right? I mean, does Paul really know this? We know from Scripture that Paul had some type of struggle in his life, some type of illness in his life, some type of ailment in his life. We don't know exactly what it is. But the way Paul described it is he was tormented by it. All right, so this is not like a little something that bothered him. This apparently was quite the battle. Paul said it was something from Satan. He put that down. And it's also clear that God did not remove it. No matter how hard Paul prayed for it to be removed. Now, there's a little side lesson there, and some of you who have been made to feel guilty because the theology that you've been taught about prayer is that, that you will just ask enough and ask enough and ask enough, then God will give you whatever you ask for. That is not backed up in Scripture. It's not. And this is one of the places that I would point people to. Paul prayed numerous times that this thing would be taken away, and God doesn't take it away. But now I'm going to read to you what Paul tells the Corinthians a little later on as he writes to them about what he's now found out. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, this is Paul, therefore I will boast, not whine, not complain, not moan, <laughs> therefore I will boast all the more gladly. Hmm, there's joy. Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's make sure you understand this. Paul did not get delivered from his struggle. Struggle still on. Pain still real. Whatever it is that torments him, still torments him. He also has not been given a reason for why God hasn't taken it away. God has not given him some clear explanation of why it has not been removed. But what Paul was given in the midst of the struggle is something supernatural to be able to see something extraordinary. He's able to see the grace of Jesus. He's able to see the power of Jesus completely sufficient even in the midst of his struggle. And out of that, God does something supernatural. He literally creates in Paul this boasting with gladness, this opportunity with joy, even though the days are evil, Paul now knows Jesus is more. And that's when you go, well, that's not natural. Exactly. Exactly. Does Paul know the days are evil? Yeah. But does he joy? Does he joy? Does, does he give thanks to God for everything? Yes, he does. 
even the hardships in his life because the power of the Spirit who ties those things together has done something so supernatural in his heart. So my point is what Paul's telling you and I to do, (laughs) that's what he experienced by God's grace. Be filled with the Spirit. I want to challenge you to realize that maybe helpful to think about being filled with the Spirit. I think the image that might often come to our minds is it's almost like a, a cup that has maybe some holes in it, so the cup is, is leaking, and therefore we, we continually need to be filled. That's how we feel, right? It's like I, I'm, I'm running dry, so I need to go to church to get my, my Jesus juice, right, and fill up, fill up the cup, and so it's running over because... Right? It's like a, a tank that's got a leak or something like that. And I don't think that's exactly the accurate picture of what Paul's talking about here when he talks about being filled with the Spirit. Instead of a cup that's got some leaks in it, I, I would encourage you to think more in terms of a sail like on a boat. A sail on a boat. When the wind fills that sail, what does it do? It powers and it even guides that boat. It powers and it guides that boat. So the question I want to make sure we understand is not how do I get more of the Spirit? That's not the question theologically. When you meet Jesus, we've, we've talked about this several times in this series, when you meet Jesus, he comes to live within you, his spirit dwells in you, you don't get like a little bit, and then if you work harder, you get a little more, and then if you work harder, you get a little more. That's not how it works. He gives you all of him. He indwells you. To be filled with the spirit is to constantly say, How do I continue to put up my sails, if you will, that his spirit will just continue to fill my life, to empower me to more that he he wants to do, stuff I can't even dream of, stuff that I don't even know to ask for, but how could his spirit continue to fill my life with power and direction? How do I lean into what God says should be seen in me? And really... For some of you, you're at the point where this just gets really practical. Let's say that you are the person who's much more on the side of, of the mind, the, the cerebral, right, the, the heady side of things. Some of you just literally need to begin practicing, expressing worship. See, you, you come in here each week even, just this is like a microcosm of how you see life. You, you come in here and you're looking for something of truth. You're looking for something of direction. But like when we express our praise to God, you, you don't intend it to be, would you just kind of this glaze look, Right? You're looking for direction, you're looking for truth, but just when it comes to expressing, it's not there. And so I'm saying for some of you, don't overthink this. 
Here's my suggestion. Sing. Sing. Just sing. Don't even have to be loud at first. Just sing. I mean, for some of you, it's like, don't be afraid to express the way you're going to express, hopefully, tonight. Right? And Mr. Mahomes does something ridiculously good, and you do this, hopefully. Right? Some of you might not, in, in terms of worship, you might not be ready for the touchdown. Some of, you, some of you might need to start with just the pick up the TV. Just start here, right? This is the lift the TV, right? And so as you're singing, you're, you're just lifting the TV, not the, not the touchdown yet, because you're not ready for the touchdown yet, right? That'll come later. I'm messing with you a little bit, but my point is serious. For some of you, there is this imagery where you, you come in here, and man, it's, it's all about what you can walk away with, with the truth. But the point is, God says, that's not all that I'm after in your life. That's not all that I'm about doing in your life. I also want your emotion. I want your heart. I, I want you to express praise. I want these things to be tied together by allowing my spirit to just fill you up. For others, um, Maybe it's the opposite. You, you come in here because you're looking for um, that emotional shot. It's like you, you, you come in here and um, you, you want some song to move your heart. You want something that, some story that I tell to move your heart. You, you want some emotion. You want something to make you feel good. And again, there's nothing wrong with that, but I'm saying... Some of you need to get really practical with the other side of that. Just a suggestion. Take a note. Like write something down that we talk about. If it comes from God's word, then surely somewhere in that mix, there's something worth writing down that you can take with you and process for later and read back through. For some of you, you need to start just, some, it could be something as simple as you're going to start reading the Bible. So pick a book. We're in Ephesians. If you look by Ephesians, there's a couple of more little books like Philippians, all about joy, if you like that kind of. It, there's one called Colossians. They're little short ones that won't overwhelm you. Just start reading like a, a, a chapter a day, let's say, and, and then it, it won't even take you a week to do that. And then once you read through it, do it again. Like, read through the same thing again. This time, start marking down words that are familiar, like common words that you see. Just, you don't have to overthink this. You, you, you really, you, you don't have to have some super degree, thank goodness, because we have the Holy Spirit of God who says, look, if you will lean into me, just lean into me. He's like, I'll fill you up, and I'll connect the intellect with the emotion and create something powerful in you. So if you're holding on to one side, some of you are holding on to one side of the paradox and not the other, and you're wondering why there's not a whole lot of power in your life, well, it's time to take hold of the other side. This is Jesus' life. 
And nobody lived this more perfect than Jesus did, right? As you read about who Jesus is, you will see these paradoxes. You will see him in one moment. He is schooling the Pharisees with his analysis of the Scripture. And then literally the next verse, Jesus is inviting little children to jump into his lap. And they're playing with him with joyful wonder. His ability to embody the paradox of Christianity was captivating and life-bringing. And he invites us into such life. So, how about we take a few minutes to pray about what God's word has confronted us with today. If you're brand new, I promise nobody's gonna put you on the spot in this moment. This is not about anybody having to pray out loud. No embarrassment, I, I promise you that. But I want us to like, actually stop and everybody has the chance to, from your own heart, to talk to God for a few minutes. I have to believe that out of two paradoxes we looked at this morning and uh, a couple of things that uh, we probably struggle with, that there, there's got to be maybe something there that you realize this, this needs to be different. I've been, I've been lax here. Well, I want to encourage you to just bow your head where you are and bowing your head's not like some super duper helps God hear better. Bowing our head just honestly helps us just to focus a little better. And we're a messed up people when it comes to focus. You know that? We struggle to focus. And so that's why I just encourage you, right where you're seated, you could actually sit there. You need to feel the freedom. If you want to kneel, if you want to, you can kneel by your chair. You can find another spot in the room. You can do whatever you want to in that regard. But I want to encourage, encourage us just for a few minutes just to bow. And um, let's talk to God for a few minutes. Maybe for some of you, um, you've got the careful part of life. You've got the fact that it's evil. Uh, you have been through some struggles. You have been through some stuff. And the world's beat up on you pretty good. And so when you hear the world's evil, you're like, yep, that's what I live from. But there is very few times that you really express joy to God on a daily basis because of the blessings that he's put around you. Maybe you just need to take the next 60 seconds or so and just everything that you really can think of that God has blessed you with, you thank him for. Just thank him for it. For some of you, maybe it's you've always pushed away the battle and you, need to, you just need to ask him to give you some eyes that are wise to realize there's an enemy that wants to take you out and you, you really need to face it. You've been afraid of that, but you need the truth. For some of you, again, it's about expressing worship to him. For some of you, it's about latching on and something as simple as seriously to write something down when we come together to study. So just across the room, I'm going to give us about 60 seconds or so, just, just you and God. And why don't you just speak to him, listen to him as he talks. You be with him. Let's do that for a few minutes.
God, today we, we are grateful for your spirit. Without you, we really are not going to understand even anything um, in terms of the truth that we read from your word today. God, it takes your spirit in order for us to understand spiritual things. And so, God, I'm thanking you for that miracle that has happened in this room today, that a bunch of your kids could come together. Oh, yeah, that, that's another miracle, that we who for, were far away, God, that you forgave us and you brought us in. And so, God, we're thankful. We thank you for making us your kids, and we thank you that we get to come together and can actually understand, God, what you have to say. We're thankful that you love us enough, that, that you will correct us. God, we're, we're thankful that we get to be this body together and to love the world around us. We're thankful for a mission that you've given us. God, on and on we could go today. God, I, as you have taught us and as you will continue to this week, I'm asking you to give us a willingness to, God, to open up the sail and that your spirit would fill us. Guide us, direct us, instruct us, teach us. God, this week as you continue to speak, I pray that you give your people hearts that really will hear and really want to change. But God, I also pray for those who may be here today that they have never, ever, ever begun to put their trust in you. By saying, God, that we, we give our life, we, we, we completely surrender. God, I pray for those, give them faith to see who you are, to see your goodness, to see how you love, that, God, you may open our eyes, that we might trust you. God, thank you for the chance now to praise you together. God, we love you, but it's because you first loved us perfectly. It's in the name of Jesus that we praise you. Amen. Let's stand together. We'll sing.